Will you turn with me, please, to the book of Romans again? Romans chapter 8. I'm going to get a little bit of a study with us this morning. Pray the Lord will help me to bring a devotional thought to you also. Again, of no notes, because usually I write notes word for word, and then I don't preach them anyway, as you know. Um, I, I take some of them, but they're for my own study. I easily write it word for word. But in these last couple of weeks on the Sunday morning, I've felt that the Lord has just led us all me to speak as he leads me at that time. And I'm going to do the same again this morning with his help, God willing. Romans chapter 8, please. <clears throat> Excuse me. And let's just read verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And let's go then to the very last verse. Paul tells us, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father, will you take your word? Will you inscribe it on every heart? Will you imprint it on every mind? We pray this morning, Lord, that you would have us leave here with your word burning in our breasts, shut up in our bones. We pray, Lord, that your word would have such a place in our life that, Lord, we cannot deny it nor run from it, but must yield to it and walk in it. So, Father, help me in my weakness to bring your word in my inability. I ask you, Lord, that you, Lord, would give me the very words to say unto your people this morning. May it even be a thus, and thus saith the Lord to a heart that is wayward, maybe one that is backslidden, maybe is one that is unsaved. May it be a thus, and thus saith the Lord even to a heart, Lord, that's weak and wandering, to someone, Lord, who has lost their way, or someone, Lord, who, Lord, knows not where to turn, who has no assurance and no confidence and their salvation in Christ. So this morning, Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts to receive the engrafted word of God, that which is able to save our souls. I ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. We have looked over the last couple of weeks, and we'll look at something different this morning. So if you've missed them, it doesn't uh, count today. But the little recap was we're looking at the ministry of the Holy Spirit in Christian life and for living, in your personal life and how you live out your life, in other words. And verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Verse 39, We are told then that nothing shall separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the thing about this is, Paul tells us that there's no separation. Look at verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he gives us a catalog of things, a catalog of things that are in a Christian's life. A catalog of things that come against a Christian's life. A catalog of things that are spiritual, that are physical. The things that are in the past, that are in your present and may come in the future. Things that are visible and invisible. 
And he says, in your security in Jesus, he says, because of what Christ has accomplished at Calvary, because what Christ has done for you, and you are in Christ if you're born again, if you're saved, trusting in the finished work he accomplished at the cross. He's saying that one, in verse one, there's no condemnation. He's saying in verse 35, there's no separation. And then in verse 39, he tells us again, there's no separation from God's love. In other words, there's nothing you can do that that will make God love you any less than he does this morning. There's nothing you can do that will make God love you any less. And I want to show you that. I have been shown a little, and we're going to go a little more into Bible study. Just that, you see, the idea is that it's good, and we have, you know, and we would sing quite a bit, and we would worship quite a lot. But really, that's good for the meeting, and it's good to uplift the heart. And sometimes we sing more like this morning, or we can sing less. But when we go home, the singing we have had this morning, although blessing is here, It's not what stands by us when we go home and close our door. It's not what stands with us when we go to a doctor's or a hospital appointment to hear maybe words that we didn't ever expect to hear. Maybe words that the doctor will say that will frighten you. And you're going to need the word of God and the assurance of Christ in your heart. You're going to need to know who you are in him. And what he has accomplished, that you are secure in him in this life, through death, and in the next. And it's not because that you have been so great. It's not because you've been so good. It's not because you've been to a certain denomination. It's not because you've come here to this meeting either. It's not because you've had godly parents or grandparents. It's because of what Christ has done And the Holy Ghost has drawn you to see the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus on the cross. And you have received by faith the payment of your sin when he shed his blood. And by faith, you have received the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost is what we're looking at, the ministry of the Holy Spirit for Christian life and living. Notice there's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And we have talked about the Spirit and the flesh for two weeks. And again, it's a battle that rages, and it's a battle that goes on. And listen, your battle will continue until Christ returns. Until Christ comes or calls, you're going to have a battle, and I'll have a battle. It's called the flesh. It's called the you. Know who your greatest enemy is? greatest enemy isn't the devil. He's defeated. The devil only has sway in your life, Christian, when you allow him. When you are unsure of who you are in Christ. The devil only has sway in your life when you let him in. When you walk away from Christ. And sometimes God may allow certain things to happen in order to draw you back into the way. In other words, the idea here is there's therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Or the idea is that 
they are walking habitually and continually in the life of the Spirit. There's no condemnation. Who walk not after the flesh, who do not walk habitually and continually in sin. If you walk habitually and continually in sin, then you'll come under condemnation. Condemnation from unbelievers will say, what? That's a Christian. Condemnation from yourself or from even the spirit who will convict you. I know I'm wrong. I shouldn't have done that. And it comes to a place where you must repent and get right with God. But there's no condemnation from Christ because you're pursuing him, even though you may fail, even though you may fall, even though you're imperfect. All of us are. There's no condemnation in that because Christ understands. In other words, God as Almighty God, he knows all about me. He knows everything about you. He knows your life. He knows your living. He knows your family. He knows your circumstances. He knows everything about you and me as Almighty God. But as man, he understands you. I know that. As God, he knows you. As man, he understands you. He knows what it's like to be weary. He knows what it's like to be weak. He knows what the flesh is like. He was tempted in all points like as you and I are, but yet he was without sin where you and I will fall. He knows everything about our weaknesses. He knows all, everything. He, he knows what pain is like. He knows what hunger is like. He knows what tiredness is like. He was weary. He slept on a pillow. He went to a well. He drank from the water. He knows what it's like to go and pray and kneel before your father. He did it all night at times. He knows what it's like to be scorned and he knows what it's like to be rejected. Everything in your life, he knows about and he understands. He knows and he understands. So when you're weak and you fall, it's not that you fall off the rock, but rather you fall upon the rock. And you may be broken, but he heals the broken heart and he binds up the wounds of those who come to him. So here we have no condemnation and then at the end of the chapter, no separation. We looked at salvation in verse 3 how we were condemned in the flesh by the moral law of God, but Christ kept the law that we couldn't keep. And then because he kept the law, he condemned the sin of the flesh. In other words, the law says, Ken, you're a sinner. The Ten Commandments tell me I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. And because it was condemning us, he came and kept it for us, stands between it and says, I have now kept it for you, Ken. If you take what I have done and accept me as your Savior, then I'm condemning that which is condemning you. The sin that condemns you, I condemn it. And I take his righteousness, you take his righteousness. And the idea there in verse 3 is God sending his own Son. In other words, his own unique Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Notice the likeness, not in sinful flesh. In the likeness, in other words, he understands now because of that flesh that he lived in how we are, what we're, what we're like and all the temptations we come across. 
And he says here that God sending his son, capital S, and the idea there, remember the word we looked at last week, the two words for son here are, can be, are used, pardon me, are huias and technon. And huias means an adult, growing up, mature son. Technon means a born young son. And again, the, the reference I give is when we have our children, they're born, they're ours. So when you're born again, you're his, you're Christ's. You belong to him. And when you're born, you can't be unborn again. Because you've been quickened by the Spirit and made alive under the things of God, you can't be unborn. You can't undo that which God has done in you. So a, a, a young technon child was one who is born, who is a child, but a huias child, a son, is one who has grown up to understand their privilege and power in their father. And as, a, as a, a man, he grew up. He grew up in the grace of his father, and he grew up in wisdom, and he grew in stature as a man. He had to grow like you and I, and so he became what we should have been and what we should be, but fail at. I used young uh, Caleb and Daniel last week as an example of this, but the family's away today. So I'll use my own children. My children are my children. They were born of me. Everything I have is theirs. I don't give it all to them now because they don't know what to do with it and how to handle it. But everything I possess belongs to them. Might not be much, but everything I possess belongs to them. And as they grow older, they get to know the relationship between me and my children. You know, your child, when your child is first born, doesn't know, mother, that you are mommy. It doesn't understand who you are, but it knows there's a bond. It knows that you feed. It knows that this is where we're cared for. In fact, a, a, a midwife, and some of you midwives can maybe tell me, I was told him that a child can almost make its way up from the mother's tummy to feed at the breast. My wife told me that one time. I'll have to check with Ashley after that. Is that true, Ashley? That's true, Ashley, yeah. You know why? Because the child knows. child has a bond, but it doesn't fully understand. And when it starts to grow, it knows who's good to it. It knows who feeds it. It knows who cleans it and looks after it and who protects it. And there's mommy. And, on, and some of the, the, the ladies who are, who are feeding their children, some of them sometimes feel, well, I'm just the stop station, you know. I've heard it saying, you know, it's just look for me for food. That never stops. Mother sure it doesn't whenever they grow up. They always come running to you looking for food. But what they don't know until they start to grow up is this. That everything I own as their father is theirs. Do you remember the prodigal son? He takes his, his, his father's, uh, his inheritance from his father and he goes and he spends it in Radis living and he comes back again. Well, remember the elder brother there, he gave off because the father had welcomed him back with open arms. Remember, and he, he puts a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet, a cloak on his back, kills the fatted calf and th there's music and dancing, we're told, in the father's house. 
because of his son returning back to the father. But the elder brother, he's, he's angry at this. I've been here all the time. You haven't given me all of this. And you haven't killed the father calf for me. And you haven't done this. And you haven't put on a ring on my finger. And you haven't put a cloak on my back. And, and so on. And he's angry. And what does the father turn and say to the elder son? He says, son, all that I have has been thine. In other words, you're a huis. You are the huis. Here, this son acts like the technon. He didn't realize what he had with me. But son, you are my son who has stayed by my side. You have to grow up. You should be growing up to understand who you are in me. And so Christian, that's what the word huis means. Christ grew he grew before his father. He, he was a, a tender plant and he grew up into a vine. He grew before his father and as he grew, he knew, he learned, even through sufferings, who his father was in the sense from his humanity. So when we're looking at this, Jesus came, that same son who grew up knowing Everything that he had, the father had, that is. Everything the father had was his. And everything the father possesses was the son's. And what happened? He goes to Calvary. Instead of calling down 12 legions of angels, 72. You know, we hear the song, he could have called 10,000 angels. That's not correct. 12 legions of angels is about 72,000 angels. It's a nice song, but it's, the, the figures aren't right. Post 72,000 angels doesn't go with the flow of the song. 72,000 angels. One angel is able to destroy a city of Sodom. One can destroy the city of Gomorrah. One can do many things. And he could have called 72,000 down. And he could have said, I'm not going to the cross instead. I'd wipe everyone out here. And I'll save all my disciples. We'll go and preach the gospel. But you see, that wouldn't have brought salvation to you. And you wouldn't be sitting here with your sins forgiven. And you wouldn't be sitting here with the Holy Spirit living in you. So this son who knew everything that the father had was his, he's the one who says, Father, I know that thou hearest me always. And he raises Lazarus from the dead. He had the Spirit of God Without measure, we're told. He wasn't filled with the Holy Ghost. He had the Spirit of God without measure. So this one hangs on a cross for me. This one bleeds and dies and voluntarily gives up his life and hangs his head on a pulseless breast when he cries it is finished. So that Ken can become a technon a born one of God. So you can become a born one of God. You want to look here at how here he brings salvation by condemning the sin. Not in us, but puts it on himself and carries it away from us. So then when we go down, we have looked through so much, we've seen sanctification in verse 10. If Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Here we have sanctification, living for Christ. Every day, 
the Spirit's ministry for Christian life and living is him living in you. So first of all, the Spirit draws us to the cross till we see Christ. Then we have sanctification. He lives in us and he leads us in a right way. He leads us according to the word of God and enables us to walk with Christ. Turn with me to John's gospel, if you will, for a moment. To John chapter 16. The Lord Jesus is speaking to his disciples and notice what he says. Let's just go to verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to the fa- my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. So here is the Lord Jesus saying, I'm going to go and the Spirit of God will come, the Holy Ghost. And notice what he says in verse 7. If I don't go away, the Comforter will not come. The Comforter. The Holy Spirit or the Comforter is known as the Paraclete. One who is called alongside to help. For example, we speak of the parables Jesus tells us of parables um, in the Gospels. Para means alongside of. To throw alongside of in order to make a comparison is what parable means. Para means alongside of. The paraclete or paracletus is one who is called alongside of us to help us. So the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives for Christian life and living is of the utmost importance. Because without the ministry of the Holy Ghost in us, we cannot live this Christian life. We cannot know the Word of God. We cannot understand the things of God, nor receive the things of God, nor believe the things of God without the ministry of the Spirit. We are unable in our weakness to carry out the service of God. So not only in our, for our Christian life, but in our Christian living, we cannot carry on in God unless the Holy Ghost is within us. Notice, he says, If I depart, I will send him to you. When he has come, he will reprove the world of sin. Here is the conviction for the unconverted. And of righteousness and of judgment. In other words, he tells the unconverted about their sin. Here is the moral commandment of God that thou shalt not. And if you break those, and we all break them, we've all broken them, then you're a sinner. We've all come short of the glory of God. And what the Spirit of God does, he makes us see it. He makes us understand that, that we are sinners. You can't understand that you're a sinner unless the Holy Ghost shows you. Do you know that? Before you're saved, you can't understand that you are lost unless the Holy Ghost shows you. 
The man and the woman without the Holy Spirit are dead in their trespasses and sins. And because they're dead in their trespasses and sins, they live how they like and they have no conscience of it. They have no conscience of God. They have no conscience of the things of God, the Word of God. They don't care. And so they, they go out chasing the things that the empty hole is in their soul has, and they try to fill it with the things of the world. And so we go out and we... And they can get drunk and, and they can meet someone and go out on a one-night stand and, and they can do that every week, every night or wherever way they find it comes to them. And they, they, they can live like that and they don't feel bad for it. But if the Spirit of God is in a man and a woman, yes, even though someone may fall, the Spirit of God will tell them that they've fallen, shows them that they're wrong, points out to them, the way they should go and leads them on in Christ. But the man and the woman without the Spirit, they have no consciousness of this and they don't really care. Now, if you and I are wrong in these things and there's no consciousness, we must ask, am I saved? Have I had a true conversion to Christ? Notice here what he says in verse 9. Of sin because they believe not in me. Notice what he says in verse 10. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. What does he mean? Let me tell you what he means here. He is the only standard of righteousness that was walking among man or living among man. Christ alone. Not one of his disciples. Not one of the prophets of the Old Testament. Not one man from Adam. Not one could be called righteous. Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him as righteousness, yes. But that was the faith he had in God. He wasn't righteous in himself. Abraham lied and said that Sarah was his sister. Although she, she sort of way was. She was a half-sister, if you want. So whenever we look at this, the ministry of the Spirit for Christian life and living is sanctification. Salvation to come to Christ, sanctification in Christ. And he says, I'm going to the Father. You're not going to know what's right and wrong, boys. And no one's going to understand what real righteousness is. And don't be going down to Jerusalem to the temple because they're worse than them all. He called them children of their own father who was the devil. He says, don't look for righteousness and complete total righteousness in what you see around the world and the different religions. He says, the, the only person that was righteous was Christ himself. And he says, when I go to my Father, the Holy Ghost will come. I'll send him, he says. He'll come to you. And he'll come and he'll live in you. And he'll show you righteousness. That's the ministry of the Spirit. And he says, of righteousness, because I go to my Father, you see me no more. Verse 11, of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. The devil is judged for sinning. And I've said it to you before, let me say it again. If God allows the devil into heaven, into the kingdom, if God was to say, okay, devil, 
I allow you back into the kingdom, then there would be sin in heaven, sin in the kingdom. And likewise, men and women who are not saved by grace through faith, men and women who have not yet bowed the knee, who have not yet yielded the heart and the spirit to come unto the living God through Christ and to trust in what he has accomplished at Calvary's tree and to say your precious blood is more than enough for my sin and on your blood shed and your resurrection, I rest my hope in that alone. And if we don't do that, unless we do that, we will be like this out of the kingdom where the devil is judgment. Notice what it says here in in verse 8. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. That's the unconverted, the unsaved of judgment. And so when he gets to verse 12, he say, or pardon me, verse 11, he says, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. And if the Father, God allows us allows a man or a woman, any man or woman, who has not trusted in the blood of Jesus, who has not trusted in the finished work of Christ, who has not put their faith and their hope and their trust in him alone and in nothing else for their salvation and redemption, if they come on the day, at that day of judgment and say, will you let me in? And the Father says, let him into the kingdom. Let her into the kingdom. Yet they have never trusted Jesus. Then, I've told you before, the Father will have to apologize to Satan and let him into heaven. But now you know that's not going to happen. Sin must be dealt with. Sin must be paid for. So this growing son, this huyas, my beloved son, as he calls him, it's the word agape to It's from the word agape, the love called out of one's heart according to the preciousness of the object that is loved. The love was called out of the father's heart for his son. He loves him. This is my agape to He's the one baptized at the river Jordan. And he says, my agape to He, he says, hear ye him, he says again on the Mount of Transfiguration, as we know it in Matthew 17. Hear ye him. This is the one who's grown up in me, who understands who he is in me as a man, who has yielded all to me, surrendered all, and kept it all. And he's saying, he is my love. He is the one who calls the love out of my heart because he's so precious to me. Now, this one, the Father crucified, or allowed to be crucified on the cross. Just think about that. Now you see the Father's heart. Now you see his Son. Now you see the cross. And you and I are under judgment. Now the ministry of the Spirit comes to speak to us. And cries like John the Baptist, Behold the Lamb of God. So we receive Christ. And now in Christ we are sanctified by his spirit. Look what Jesus says in verse 12. I have many things yet to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Do you know, we pray so much. And at the moment I'm praying, I'm in a bit of a predicament at the moment, and I'm praying, Lord, what what have I to do? What next? I'm praying hard about it, thinking about it. It's constantly on my mind. 
I don't know what tomorrow holds or who holds, but I know who holds tomorrow, as it's saying it. And sometimes we want to know it now, but it's just not the time. I want to know it now, God. In fact, I wanted to know it yesterday and the day before that. And the Lord says, not time. I've yet many things to tell you. I've yet many things to show you. But you can't bear it yet. Jesus said that. And yet when we go to the book of Revelation, John is in the eye called Patmos for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And Jesus comes and shows him all things according as he was to show him at his revelation. You know why? John was growing up. He was an older man now. He's really old at this point, maybe in his 90 or late 90s. And he's been tried and he's been tested. And through the trials and the testings, he has kept going on in God, learning more in God. He's, God's put a lining in him, as it were, fortified him. And because of that, now in this prison eye, some say they boiled John in oil and they couldn't cook him alive. He had grown up into the word. He had grown up into Christ. And he had knew his salvation. He knew that he was sanctified. And he knew he was righteous in Christ. And all of these things couldn't shake his faith. And God brings him through trials and troubles and tribulations and heartaches and hardships, highs and lows, ups and downs, mountains and valleys throughout his long life. And John is the one who still says, Behold what manner of love. The Father have bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons or the technon of God. We're just little born ones. John kept the humility that even though who he was in Christ, he says, Lord, I'm just your child. I'm an old man, but I'm just your child. And he gives him the revelation of Jesus Christ, that which he couldn't bear here as he writes about in his gospel. Can you see the link here? The Lord says, now, John, I'll show you and he gives him the revelation of Jesus Christ. How be it? When he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. He definitely did that for John, didn't he? In the book of Revelation. Notice this. He shall glorify me. He shall glorify me. Now, if you're in a meeting, if you're constantly sitting under a preacher or a pastor, if you're in a gathering at all ever, and the Lord Jesus Christ is not exalted in the midst, if he is not central, if he is not worshiped, if he is not lifted up, if he is not glorified, if he's not glorified, if you're getting fantasy, furry tale stories and little illustrations, which are okay, the illustrations from time to time, but if this is all you're getting and Christ is nowhere to be found in the midst of that meeting, then it isn't a meeting, only a meeting of flesh. It's a social club. Because the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost will always, always 
always, every single time, every single meeting, even in songs we sing, every time we worship, every time you read the scriptures, every time he has preached, the Holy Ghost will always glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Every single time. Every single time. For he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. So now we have the salvation, sanctification. During our sanctification, we learn the glory of Christ. We learn to glorify Christ, to worship Christ, to adore him and to love him. We learn about him in the scriptures. The Spirit shows us the Lord in the scriptures. And so he's glorified in our hearts. And you see, Christ can't be glorified unless the Holy Ghost is within us. And he can't be glorified unless he's in the meeting. It says in verse 15, all things that the Father hath are mine. I note that. Why did Jesus say that? Why did he say that? Because what does he say? I am the wheels the grown-up son of God, i.e., I am he. And all the Father has is mine. Notice what he says. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I, that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. Now, I'm going to wrap this up because I brought you there meaning to go back to Romans chapter 8, but time will elude us. So just go quickly back to Romans 8. We'll wrap up here and we'll let you see where we'll... we'll I don't know where I'll do another morning on this or not. I already have an idea for next Sunday anyhow, next Sunday morning. Notice the things what it says about the Spirit of God in your life and living. Notice the terms, the titles, and the working of the Spirit through this chapter. First two, we have the law of the Spirit of life. In verse 4, we're told that things are done after the Spirit or according to the Spirit. In verse 5, says the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, the Spirit and the things of the Spirit. Verse 9 talks of the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ. Verse 10 speaks of the Spirit of life. Verse 11 speaks of the Spirit of Him that raised Jesus from the dead that dwells in you. Christian life and living is, verse 13, through the Spirit. Verse 14, led by the Spirit. Verse 15, receive the Spirit. That is the Spirit, now, not the Holy Ghost. But notice this. Receive the Spirit of adoption. We looked at that last week, so don't confuse those. One with a small s, one with a capital s, meaning the Spirit of God. We have not received the phobos. By the way, my children reminded me I want to tell you about a phobia last week, and I got carried away somewhere else and forgot to tell you what it was. 
I hunted around last Friday night, Saturday night, and I, or Saturday day, and I had to pull out the bedroom and everything because of a spider. I mean, under the bed. The, this is one of my daughter's bedrooms. You can guess what it's like. You can guess the stuff under the bed, the cuddly toys. Everything had to be hoovered. Are they still here? Are they, are they upstairs? Oh, I didn't get it. <laughs> They're upstairs with the children. They didn't get it. Oh, there's one. Forgot about you, Ellie. I'm in trouble now. <laughs> She's going, hello, Dad, I'm here. I have to tell the truth anyway, don't you? I just told them, well, we've hoovered everywhere. That's the way we left it. <laughs> See, phobia can grab a mind. And, they, and one was petrified to stay in the room on Friday night. Had to sleep together in the same room. <laughs> Even wrapped a t- rolled a towel up to stick it along the bottom of the door, just in case it crawled out. <laughs> Doesn't really work anyhow, you know that. But anyway. Phobia. Hear the spirit of bondage again to fear in verse 15 is phobos. It is, we have not been given a phobia about the things of the other world, about death. We have not been given a phobia about whether we're saved or not because we know we're saved because of what Christ has accomplished. We are not being given a phobia to fear, to fear what man can do unto us, to fear where we'll be in eternity, to fear about the kingdom of God, to fear the second coming. Believe it or not, a, a few years ago, Alice and I were talking to a couple of Christian friends of ours and they've been going to their church for years. And we started talking around the dinner table about the second coming of Christ and Alison and I were so excited. We can't wait. We're looking for his coming. What a day it's going to be. It's going to be wonderful for those who are saved and born again and blood-washed. It's going to be wonderful. And these Christians sat at the table and became horrified. They near shrunk under the table. We've never heard of the second coming of Christ in our church. What? We've never been told this. This is a Pentecostal church. Evangelical Pentecostal church. I'd never heard it. And it says, please stop talking about it. It frightens us. Frighten you? You know what? In the coming of Christ, it says you grow in Christ. You look for him. You wait for him. You want him. You're desiring him. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. We're growing up from technon to understand who we are and what we'll have when he returns again because what the Father has will be given to us through Christ and in him. So, when we go on down this, we'll look at, I might do one more week, I don't know, how the Spirit helps our infirmities, our weaknesses when we can't pray. I might go into a little bit, if I do this next week, I would love, actually I'd intended to speak more on this topic. But if you read down Romans 8 and you go back, it talks about those who me foreknew and those whom he predestinated that he called. That's the security of the saint. 
That's your security in Christ, that he knew you before the foundation of the world. He loved you before the foundation of the world. It's not what we sang. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. And whenever we look at this, we, I want to bring you somewhere where some people become frightened of this doctrine where God knew me and chose me. He called me. He justified me. We'll maybe look at it next week. We'll see how we get on. I'll pray about it. I think I might bring something else, but we'll see. Know your security in Christ. This, isn't, this security isn't an, an arrogance or a pride. It should be the opposite. It should be a humbling. We should be the most humble people on the planet, yet the most secure people on the planet. Because everything that we'll ever have for our soul salvation, our whole redemption of spirit, soul, and body, he has paid it all. And he has accomplished it. And he's the one who will perform it all. We can't even grow one inch in stature, the Lord says. But he's going to change you completely. From the inside to the out, and it is coming again. We have the resurrection is the next one in that chapter. The spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you shall quicken your mortal members. He'll come and he'll quicken us and change us to be like him, the first fruits. God bless his word to us this morning. I trust you've got something to say, Lord, you've been good.